Hello and welcome to Tools in the Shed, a podcast powered by Cars Guide, ready to rip into car stuff that's caught our eye this week. I'm James, and with me is Andrew Chesto Chesterton, who values his own autonomy, but isn't sure about the concept as it relates to cars. Hello, world. As well as fearless Cars (laughs) Guide editor Mal Flynn, who's been keeping an open mind on a much-anticipated new arrival. Hello, also, world. And we'll update you on the latest thought bubble from a boy genius who's allegedly a man in this week's Musk Watch. So stay with us. But first, some breaking news. Honestly, uh, Prince Philip, 97-year-old man, uh, married to a certain you know, person in, in the UK, who has okay, a crown. Queen Elizabeth II, yep. involved in a two-car crash overnight near the Royal Estate at Sandringham um, at the wheel of a Land Rover Freelander. So it's not exactly a, a new vehicle. Not injured, did not go to hospital. What a legend. Uh, obviously, Tony Abbott's knighthood has stood him in... Good stead through this entire episode. You know, him up. I think him it kept, I think it kept him going. That was yeah. the deal with the devil he needed, I think. But, you know, pretty handy bone density for a, for a 97-year-old person to be at the wheel of the car taking some shots. Absolutely. For those um, watching and listening on YouTube, we'll have an image, um, which we a hat tip to, to the ABC, um, of the Freelander on its side. It's a fair old bingle. It's a pretty big ding, yeah. I'm no royal watcher, but... Uh, in recent times, he's retired from public life. Everyone was concerned that he wasn't going to rock up to the royal weddings, and yeah, you know, did he? There's always, they're always saying he's on his last legs, but here he is driving a car, yeah. on its side. Well, there was a news story that got reportedly, a, reportedly got a lot of ground uh, relatively recently that he was dead, and he had he had to um, come out and say, no, that's an exaggeration." <laughs> Perhaps this was just to prove it. I think I, the thing that amazes me the most about this is not the fact, not only the fact that he's 97, but the, but the fact the Queen's husband. Is driving himself around England exactly. without any protection. Nobody's not around the, you know, the driveway no. of a castle. No men in black. And yeah. think, think about how Trump gets around in his bulletproof behemoth. Yeah. This bloke's just driving himself around the in a car that's at least five years old yeah. and the base model Land Rover. Yeah, sure. But when you're 97, five years old is almost nothing. <laughs> that's <laughs> brand new. By that's comparison. right. As a percentage of your time, <laughs> that's why time flies as you get older. He's because, probably still working out where the start because buttons. a day as a percentage wheel. of your entire life yeah. um, is so much smaller. So a day just starts flying by. Good Whereas point, for yeah. a kid, you know, it's a big, big chunk of their life. And time flies by. Yeah. Earth, sky, earth, sky, that flies by. Land okay. Rovers fly I'm by. I'm uncomfortable with the issues that we're getting onto here. I think we need to get Opening back on track. Opening of worms. And um, well, well done to Phil the Greek for surviving that um, amazing episode. But can I chuck in one final tidbit? Yeah. So another little thing I learned this morning is that apparently he used to own a black London cab, oh. uh, which he used so he could... Uh, so he just secretly went out at night and exactly. took a few fares and I'm not sure got, about fares, got to, you know, mix with it the, as, a, as a ruse to drive around London oh, really? freely, which that's cool. Imagine hailing Prince Philip. <laughs> that's that, a, that's a different take very, on the he's geezer. He's modern too, Philip. He now drives Uber, as I understand it. So he's really he's yeah, right, yeah. He's oh, right, right up with the time. I wonder yeah. what his star ratings look like today. <laughs> yeah, he's got the knowledge. He, underst- he <laughs> the knows knowledge. the entire place. He knows place. the area. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's progressive. All, all right, so. He's known for his progressive. Speaking of knowledge, we now have some. <gasps> on a vehicle that was teased to death, oh, um, we'd been it? we'd been waiting. People forever. in this room have driven. People it. in this room have had a steer. Um, tell us, Mel, what what are we actually talking about here? The Toyota Supra, Supra. Yep. which in Europe is being known as the Toyota GR Supra, and it's got multiple badges in the boot saying yep. Toyota. Anyway, but so, um, so this racing. week we've yep. finally seen it, and we finally had confirmation of the mechanical package. Um, Packages. 
isn't it just one for now? No, I, I think there are two, are there not? There's two four-cylinder options, yeah. but I From think launch? at the moment only the six is six confirmed is, for yeah, us. Right. Yeah, we all yeah. know that it's getting a two-litre four. Yeah, okay. But uh, I don't think we know kilowatt figures and stuff for the four, do we? Uh, we do, my friend. Oh, and not yeah. only that, but I have them right here. Andrew's done on. his research. Continue on Thank now. you, Andrew. So, uh, yeah, so we know that it's going to have the 250-kilowatt kilo- 3-litre Turbo 6 from the 40i model. Which is pretty handy. The BMW 40i models. Yep. And the ZF8 speed. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I don't think that looks uh, surprising at all, given how much we've seen of it uh, disguised. Yep. And, you know, it was... Clearly a finished car underneath. It wasn't a padded disguise. It was just camoed up with a sure. uh, thin veneer of uh, wrap. Yeah. Uh, but it's always interesting to see it in its kind of nakedness. Yep. And it's been a bit polarising. Well, the other thing, you know, it's it's bulging, things jutting out here yeah. and there. It seems very busy to my eyes. And yeah. it, it, that's just not my cup of tea in terms of the way it's been treated. But I was looking on uh, Jalopnik, who crawled all over the car um, on the show stand, yep. and Detroit. they found the number of fake vents on the car. You yeah. know, mm. fake vents are a blight on the world. This thing's chock full of them. So a lot of this is just kind of styling. Now, the engineer did say at the launch of that car, the drive of the prototype, which wasn't really a prototype, it was just a camouflage finished car, but he did say, yes, the vents are ornamental, but he did say in his own delicate way, watch this space. There may ah, come a time in the future where when they they're may less be ornamental. Real. So the gotcha. one on the door that is quite slim compared to the concept, which now that we've seen about the camo, it's you know created by slapping a big slab of plastic on the door. Sure. That to me reeks of this is going to be a bigger gap in a faster version. So, okay, fine. Mm-hmm. Which I don't know what they're going to call it if this is already the GR Supra, but... Uh, Correct. Yeah. Well, let me circle back to that earlier question. So the two four-cylinder options, both the same engine, of course, one good for 190 kilowatts, one good for 145 kilowatts. Mm-hmm. But, of course, we've only driven the six-cylinder car to date. Yep. yep. Um, the only other thing I'd say about this is I saw you guys did something the other day on the styling of that car, and it seemed to be less polarizing and more nobody really liked it. Yeah. But just to throw a controversial viewpoint in there, I do like it. Right. I think it looks good. Okay. Uh, can I add to that? I contributed that to that story and I said it's no oil painting or geranium, but I've it's grown on me since. Yeah. I, I now respect yeah. it. You guys uh, are soft. Uh, it's still not I mean, beautiful. Like tinier. It's growing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like it. I think it's Japanese. Look, it's Japanese styling, i.e. they've thrown everything they've got at this thing. There's swoops and vents yeah. and sharp bits and bulging bits and huge, huge rear guards. But I don't know. Something about it just works for me. I like it. Yeah. I don't know. To take the alternate view... I think they're trying too hard that it, that this is such an important car and there's so much focus on it. We've got to get it right for who the target buyer is. It's got to look muscular. It's got to look fast. And I, th- I think it's tipped over that threshold mm. where it just looks too busy. The double bubble roof, the big fat flanks, and the little spoiler a la 911 at the back. It's just, I don't there's know. There's a lot going on. I think it looks best with the lights on because mm-hmm. oh, uh, yeah. it reduces the visual weight of the headlights, which are huge. Mm-hmm. And also when the taillights are on, it looks less... You know, squinty. See the other, the other thing that bowler. stood out to me in the fact that it didn't stand out um, is the interior. That and I was saying, no wonder it was covered during you know the preview mm-hmm. drives because yep. it's as flat as a pancake and it's it's using a lot of the architecture, physical architecture that would be driven by From BMW. Uh, but just in terms of its treatment, it looks quite plain. Now that may be intentional. It's mm. all focus. It's all about the business and driving, etc. But as a as a kind of design statement, it leaves me a little cold just it on the images. It is very much a BMW interior. Yeah. I mean, apart from the Toyota badge on the steering wheel, there's almost nothing in there that you could relate to that brand. I think 
for me, the biggest thing working against the interior was with the initial shots, most of them had that those red highlights, which is so turn of the millennium. Mm. Mm. Uh, but the entry model yep. is black Alcantara and right. a bit of leather. Yep. And in my mind, that looks a lot Yeah, better. black on black on well, black looks good. Yeah. What I would say is that it is a pretty effective blend of the A80 Supra mm-hmm. and the FT1 concept. Mm-hmm. You know, which, which mm-hmm. genuinely previewed it. Yep. Uh, they've managed to get elements of that older car, which yep. has become such an icon. I mean, God, um, they're, they're selling pristine examples of that car are selling for silly money, particularly in the USA. Mm-hmm. Um, and this FT1, which was a dramatic uh, concept show car. And it also looks nothing like a Lexus. Yeah. Which yeah, it's true. is always a danger with high-end Toyota models because yep. some markets it might be badged with Lexus badges, but yep. it's so a Toyota and nothing else. All right. What, what do we think of price, gentlemen? Where's it going to land in Australia? It's got to be 80-ish and no more. Is that going to be a problem? I think so because the 86 was twenty nine nine ninety for mm-hmm. so long and it's such an excellent car still. It uh, would be a substantial problem for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, other people, I can't speak on their behalf. <laughs> Eight dollars would be a substantial yeah, yeah, yeah. problem for me to be. And look, yeah. it's it's move that decimal point. Well, to the eighty is just well below be... a, a Boxster these days or a Cayman. Yeah, um, it's still kind of three seventy Z money, but that's pretty old. Mm-hmm. But there's not much else out there in that price bracket. Pretty old. I mean, three seventy Z would be battling for oldest if you count three fifty Z. It's it's really mm. um, in its dotage. Mm. There's quite a nice little retro charm to that car still, though. Actually, especially in Nismo. Form. The Nismo works oh, well. Pretty soon it'll be like a Morgan. Though. Yeah. You know, if you leave it alone <laughs> for long enough. <laughs> Can I just say one more thing on the Supra? Mm. Can we all just take a moment? And thank anyone we can that this car has finally been revealed. No yeah. more oh, drip feeding, no more logo reveals, no more tips. And, and look, because you were there in LA when they revealed the badge. It was unbelievable. The, the, yeah. uh, the, the, boss of, the American boss of Toyota said, oh, you know, we always like to surprise people at motor shows. And I know you know we've got a sports car coming. So hold on to your hats, folks, because here it is. The all-new Supra Slogo. Oh, <laughs> good. That's exciting. But, but I mean... Check it out on YouTube. That's, it's a that's laugh. A, that's a point well made, and I take it. But I think in the bigger picture, what you've got to say is, fantastic. Here's a rear-wheel drive front engine. Yes, it Absolutely. was co-developed with BMW, but isn't that great? Now, our own Tom White managed um, to get out of Tetsuya Tata that he'd driven a manual version of the car as, as a Supra. Pre-pro- uh, pre-production. So, you know, that might be coming down the road. It's, it's, totally it's a good coming. thing. Yeah. It's a good thing. Totally Celebrate coming. this car. And I am a big Supra fan. Yeah. Um, and I must admit, look, 80 would, would probably turn me off it as well. Not that I could even... This is hypothetically in a world where I actually have some money. Yeah. But 80 might turn me off it, but I do love the idea that this car exists. I'm Super. very happy that oh, it's here. Oh, me too. Don't get me wrong. Yep. The other thing I'm dying to see, and you'll be able to answer this, is I think it'll, given it shares so much with the BMW Z4, but has Toyota calibration and tuning, I can't wait to see how much personality, like bespoke personality they've managed to give it Yes. Uh, in doing that Yeah. Uh, compared to the Z4. Now, there's one person in the room who's driven the Z4 and the uh, yeah, Supra. Right. Yeah, you've you got to leap on that. What are your Good. thoughts on uh, I'll tell you what the, the most surprising thing about the Z4 was for me. I, I thought that would be the more sensible kind of option here. Right. And yet it is really enthusiastic, to put it one way, that car. It actually reminds me of the old 1M Coupe in the fact that it's just a little bit homicidal, the Z4. So it's really? a bit brawnier. Than, and really than brawny. generally yeah. sharp. Very happy to step out at the rear, even you know, even with the traction set really? to the Sport Plus kind of mid-slip but, section. But that's you driving, right? Yeah, so, that you part know, of that is probably... you be attacking corners at God knows what angle. <laughs> but but yeah, it's yeah. probably the foot. <laughs> Backing it in. But the fact that there's a sort of willingness to do that, I don't know, it's amazing. I, I really did think, when I approached that car, 
car, I thought, well, this will be the more sensible version of that Supra, which we drove on a racetrack. It was all very fast and wonderful and fun. But actually, I thought the Z4 was the really kind of... More lively. Yeah, yeah, in a lot of ways. Or certainly more sort of homicidal, which is never not necessarily a bad thing. That blows my mind too, because you think, I think Z4 and I think, you know, it's the Merc SLC equipment. Yeah, that's right. Which sells to a lot of Floridians. Not this one. I tell you, what we want to hear is your opinions. We want to hear from you. Yeah. um, And look, let us know. Um, comments at uh, carsguide.com.au. I believe it's coming to Australia later this year. Yeah. It'll be a while yet. Yeah. Uh, the Toyota, that is. But the yeah. BMW should be here soon. So Yeah, I think it's coming mid-year this year, yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> so people can make their own minds up. We can have a steer, which will be uh, fabulous. Yeah. Um, but let us know. What What are your thoughts? You know, the, we've got pics on the site. They're all over the um, internet. Let us know where you stand on it. Mm-hmm. And no doubt we'll be talking about the Super again next week because we're talking it every week. <laughs> now, but it is now time to blow a gasket Ooh. where, uh, you know, one or all of us let off a bit of steam about some issue that's been uh, making them hot under the collar. And Chesto, it's your turn this time. And the basic premise is autonomy. Did anybody actually ask for it and does anybody actually want it? Correct. And now I'm not much of a gasket blower, as you know, but I'll do my best to fire up here. So I'm going to start this just by simply asking you a simple question. Uh Are either of you excited about the concept of autonomy? Do either of you actually want it to happen? Full autonomy this is, level five. No. No. I don't. I'll stop you right there. I really enjoy observing the technology at work and watching a car, you know, sort of navigate an invisible force field down a public road. Uh, but I really, really worry about driving alongside another autonomous car. That- yep, correct. And look, in saying no, I, I won't hold you up too much, Chester, but in saying no, I know that what I'm saying is flying in the face of every effort to increase safety mm-hmm. and to reduce the death toll and injury on our roads. So I understand that the, the driver is to get zero um, road toll, but... I'm as a person who enjoys cars. Mm-hmm. My gut reaction is no. I'm not looking forward to it. Mm. Here's my concerns with it. I was actually reading through a few things that I wrote, I've written for you guys over the last few months, and the first one was for Harold Wester, who's the chief technical officer at FCA. Basically, said that it will cost somewhere in the vicinity of forty thousand Australian dollars to add level four autonomy to most vehicles. That's the price that will add to the cost of your car, forty thousand dollars. Now there have been plenty of examples throughout history of car companies offering safety features as an optional extra and almost yep. nobody ticking that off sure. the box. Yep. To the point where they felt a sort of moral obligation to include those things as part of the standard fit, because otherwise nobody would pay for them. So my question is this A, I don't think anybody's going to want to pay for autonomous vehicles. B, I'm not sure that anyone's ever asked for autonomous vehicles and see the thing that is probably the biggest problem is that the people who are actually currently behind at the at the cutting edge of autonomy at the moment uh, have now started saying things like this whole thing may not even be possible agree so the boss of waymo for example who, who you would have to argue that that's that google funded self-driving yep. program you'd have to argue they are sort of at the pointy end of this thing if anybody knows about autonomy it's those guys at the mm, moment sure and he came out the other week saying that actually Level five autonomy where a car can go anywhere without any human interaction whatsoever. Yes. May never happen. Well, that's the point is on a, on, you know, theoretically, level five autonomy could work. But in the real world, where you're talking about people buying cars, cars costing different amounts of money, where you're going to have a blended car park mm-hmm. for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, people aren't going to want, it can't be like, I've said it before, where Sweden changed from right-hand drive to left-hand drive or different sides of the road overnight. Like, okay, midnight, we're all going to change to the other side of the road. 
It can't be, okay, everyone, we're in autonomous cars tomorrow. Yep, correct. You're going to have old cars, new cars, autonomous cars. It's a nightmare aside from the different levels of technology that are required to make autonomous cars work in an infinite number of different settings. Correct. Harder than converting the US to uh, metric measurement. (laughs) Yes. Or or to common sense. Yeah. (laughs) So just, I I know there's a bit of assumed knowledge here, so bear with me, but just so everybody knows when we're talking about level five autonomy. So driver's tech is basically five levels, right? There's level one, which is a single, uh, the car can control a single function like cruise control, for example. Level two, which allows for a driver to temporarily remove their hands and feet from the control. So lane keep assist, for example. And active cruise. And active cruise. So cars that can drive for, at the moment roughly 30 second spells by themselves although they could drive longer but and these days there's plenty of those on the there road. are indeed yep so then level three then reduces the driver himself or herself to an in case of emergency only proposition i.e they will only get involved if an accident is imminent yeah level four then means that's eyes off hands off motoring with the car able to complete most trips by itself while level five which is what we're talking about here is complete autonomy in all situations no steering no, wheel no, no steering nothing wheel you're getting required. into a lounge room Correct. with wheels on you're it. you're in the back watching telly yeah and the car is navigating you from here to Perth and back again. Yep. Kit from Knight Rider. Kit exactly. From, yeah, let's, let's chit-chat. But, <laughs> but oh. I mean, the, the other thing to remember, um, people like Waymo um, and other ride-sharing services, their motivation is dollars. Um, they're not necessarily primarily motivated by saving lives. They want to save on driver costs. They want to have efficiency in terms of their logistics, all of that. You know, is that something to be admired? I'm, I'm not so sure. Well, no. And like we've published a story uh, about six months ago now, based on a study. I think it was by Kelly Blue Book, our um, colleagues in the states, that uh, suggests that the bubble may have burst before it even really happens. Yeah. In that, uh, as the public becomes more aware of the potential of autonomous driving, our faith in the technology is decreasing. Yeah. So. Absolutely. If no one's trusting it. <laughs> Yeah, and, and, a, how, and how could you? I mean, how, yeah. how? I mean, we are so many years away. So, Mr. Wester from SCA suggested it'll be twenty twenty five minimum before mm. we even start looking at sort mm. of true level four, level five autonomy. They yeah. can be rolled out on, a, on yep. a broad scale. Some people think it's even further, further than out. That. Absolutely, yep. but the te- fifty. The technology is so far away from being anything. And, new. and you've you've got layers of complexity on top of one another. In that you have the technical challenge of allowing cars to, to recognise one another and react accordingly at speed. Mm. Now, you may have that in the sense that cars are actually talking to one another or not. But then you've got the topogra- topography of the landscape. You know, you've got bins, dips, trees, Absolutely. all of that. Then you've got philosophical kind of questions. Uh, who's going to program um, the moral code for collisions and, and yeah. when a car has to make a decision on its own yeah. All of that is fraught. Is, with is one child more valuable? Than so that is actually more people. That's my favourite autonomous question. Mm. So, so somebody somewhere will have to program the car to say, "I have an op- I'm driving across a bridge, and a bus pulls in. A bus cuts in front of me, and it's filled with school kids, and I'm going 110 kilometres an hour, for example. The car has an option. It can either crash into the bus, potentially costing the lives of the people kids. on it, or it can hook a hard left over the guardrail, plummet to the ocean and below, and take, take you, you out. out. Now you are, of course, the preferred option. That's the lowest amount of human life that could possibly be lost. Mm. Numbers. But, the, but the, that's a tricky thing to the, the response coming head out, around. The response coming out of most car makers so far is our responsibility will be to the person that bought the car. Yeah. So you have murderous autonomous cars out there on the road. And that, that's, <laughs> yeah, that, convicted that, child of uh, sex offenders driving around in uh, autonomous and cars. And aside from any kind of buses. moral questions, 
that just opens up a legal nightmare. A legal nightmare. It feels to me like if there is is ever a Terminator 2 moment where they send (laughs) an autonomous car from the future back to put it into this thing, they'll send it back to 2019. Yeah. And so they pull the plug on the system. What would it be? Do you think it would be a uh, Corolla? (laughs) (laughs) An autonomous car from the future? Would it be a Corolla? Yeah, possibly. Maybe it's a Hummer. That's a whole other podcast. It is. (laughs) (laughs) But a Hummer, that'd make sense. Except to be coming from the past for a Hummer. It would, maybe. With Arnie on board. So can I pose a question to you? It's a production model three. Tell us. So that's, that's our view on autonomy, or certainly my view on autonomy. What, what's your view? Is this something you actually want? Is anybody asking for yeah. this technology, yeah. or is it being sort of forced upon us? You tell us. And yeah, tell us if we're completely mad. Too. And, and look, the it's, other thing is whether or not there's the demand is, is just such uh, a pertinent question. What if all these cars are made, technological leaps happen somehow, mm-hmm. but no one wants to buy them? Mm-hmm. You know, if, it's got to be demand or, or as well as supply for them. Yeah. We know. I mean, like the, the most relevant example I think is electric cars. We know already that people will accept electric cars, but not at the prices that they need to pay for them. Yeah. So if you're in Los Angeles, for example, or, or another American state where there where there's huge amount of government subsidies for cars that lower them to the price of or even lower than their conventional petrol or diesel powered equivalents, people will sort of trial a new technology. Yeah. But anywhere where that doesn't exist, Australia being one example, that people will not spend the extra money. The, the, there's another layer um, as well. Think about different car brands and their approach and how it, it impacts their reason for being. A mass brand, fabulous. Okay, that's right in our okay. target zone. Um, an exotic sports car, why on earth would exactly. we want to encourage autonomy? Exactly. Our cars are bought for driving enjoyment. Mm. Um, they may be a statement of wealth and all of that stuff, but at the heart, these are meant to be driven. Correct. So even if you could do the magic flick overnight and get everyone in autonomous cars, your Lamborghinis and Ferraris and Aston Martins are going to go, hold on, Correct. we want to remain in business. And doesn't that then disrupt the whole autonomous network? Absolutely. How, how does BMW M, for example, or Mercedes AMG embrace this idea of a steering wheel free car? Doesn't yeah. make sense. No. But, Lamborghini. But there is one perk. Exactly. Open your scissor doors to sit in and have a read. Yeah, yeah, correct. yeah. There is one perk that we talked about yesterday, and that, that this is one cool thing that somebody suggested to me, and I do actually think would be quite cool. So imagine, for example, you buy, for argument's sake, the, the Julia QV. Right, this is the Go Fast Alfa Romeo sedan. So you're in quadrifolio. Quadrifolio. I think going with these days. So you drive it to pick it up. You rent it, let's say, from Frankfurt Airport. You drive it straight to the Nurburgring. As soon as you get there, you pre-program in that Nurburgring setting lap of the track in autonomy. You hit go, sit back, fold the arms, and get taken on what might be one of the great hot laps of our time. Now that would be a cool function. But I think that you'd be spending the whole time going, oh, my God, I can't yeah. believe I'm not dead. Yes. <laughs> I, that's, how, that's what I'm always doing on a race show, whether I'm driving or not. I like when you get back. It's great. Because yeah. that, that, to me, I, I completely understand where you're coming from. Just personal point of view is that hold about as much appeal as autonomous car racing. You know, the, the cars that don't have a driver yeah. that are able to read the track and relate with one another. And I, I just, there has to be, <laughs> be like some kind of human, human, video games. human interaction with it. Yeah, what's that? It'd be like watching the extras in video games. Exactly. Like the program traffic that just, just goes, nah. I, And I'm speaking from a particularly biased point of view because I've loved cars all my life. And barring some con- catastrophe, I will continue to. Yeah. Yeah. But And others don't care. It's very much a white good that gets them from A to B. So different aus- audiences. I know, you know we're running out of time. Sorry. I would love to be able to sit in a car and read between Sydney and Canberra. I hate yeah. that drive. What would you be reading? Probably a car magazine. <laughs> but 
I wouldn't be driving that bloody Hume Highway stretch. I, I actually wonder, I did that drive just recently to, to uh, Kosciuszko and back. I actually wonder if that wouldn't be more boring. At least driving, you're engaged in some kind of distraction activity. How yeah. often have you done that drive? When I lived in Melbourne, I think I did it from Melbourne to Sydney by car at least twice a month. Okay. And it sucked. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it really sucked. Do you but know, I used I, to do it every week to Canberra and I know every crack in that damn pavement. <laughs> Every so, sign, every oh look, there's a big apple signifying an orchard. You know, yeah. there's the just so you know how and, tall uh, Kos- Mount Kosciuszko is. Pardon? You know how tall Mount Kosciuszko is? Oh, two thousand two hundred twenty-nine meters. You know how I know that? How do you know that? It's the postcard for Carrying Bar. Ah, oh, there you go. Because I was with a photographer, Mark Bramley, uh, one day, <laughs> and we, we were at Mount Kosciuszko photographing some cars, and I said, "How tall is Mount Kosciuszko?" Two thousand two hundred twenty-nine meters. I said, "How do you know that?" It's the postcard for Carrying Bar. It's where I grew up. I said, "Mark." I've just learned two things that I'll never forget. The height of Mount Kosciuszko and, and the, the postcode for Caring Bar. And then we were in um, <laughs> one of the uh, information villages down in Threadbow. Uh, Mark, Mark, this map says 2,228. goes, Miranda Fair. <laughs> <laughs> Wowee. Anyway. Two, two very important pieces of information you'll keep with you forever. Now, we're going to move on to, uh, just briefly... What's in our garage? What we've ah. been uh, driving during the course of this week, and I'm going to kick it off with you, Chesto, because it's quite a beast um, that, that you is. have the keys to. So this is kind of if we're talking about autonomy and electric vehicles, this is <laughs> antithesis <laughs> of that. I would not get further yeah. away. So I, I've got the Grand Cherokee Trackhawk at the moment. Uh, yeah, six point two liter Hellcat supercharged Hemi. 522 kilowatts of power, 868 newton meters. Just and I, slow down, 522. Ridiculous. Just ponder that for a while. Yep. So this huge behemoth was screened to 103.7 seconds. I mean, that is unbelievable. Yep. And i got to say, I, I put a little bit of that acceleration to the test last night. Yep. It is the first time in a long time where, where it is actually a, a little bit frightening mm. <laughs> because it is such a big thing. There are parts of your brain screaming at yeah. you that this thing should not be going this fast. But, you know, I went to the launch of that at Phillip Island, so fanging that thing around Phillip Island. Of all places and, to launch and a Jeep. I, I think its primary purpose is the person who's bought it gets all their friends and family, yeah, loads exactly them on board, right. gets the uh, launch control fired up, Correct. Put the car away. Job done. It should that, come with a standard it. GoPro facing back into the cabin. <laughs> exactly. And so that would only cost you about ten bucks in petrol. Which I know. Is pretty efficient. Yeah. If fuel that's efficiency doesn't for. matter at all. It's yeah. just to show off. Correct. And it's huge fun. Correct. And I got to say, look, you didn't drive that to Kosciuszko, did you? No, I'm most certainly not. I've, I've still got a shirt on my back. Um, no, I couldn't. You couldn't afford the fuel bill. I mean, it, look, it's thirsty. It doesn't make a whole lot of logical sense. But as car people, as car people. I celebrate that car. Yes, yeah, I'm here. so happy that it exists. It's, it's an the American closest thing we're going to get in this lifetime to a, a Hellcat. To a Hellcat. Yeah, absolutely. 700 horsepower, supercharged. Um, when you think about the G63, it's the same vein that's being right. tapped. In if fact, it doesn't make any logical sense. I saw it's the G63 yesterday as I was picking this car up. I, the G63 was right alongside, and it was this moment of like, here are these two absolutely nonsensical SUVs. Ludicrous. And yet I love them both. I just love that they're there, that someone's done it. And I love the American approach. I'm not saying, you know, what should we do? It's more a, what can't we do? They're, they're both, this engine, let's put it in. They're an environmentalist nightmare. Yes, correct. Both yeah. of them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's, you know, okay, shoot me. Yeah. That's to be celebrated yeah, because right. they're just such hilarious fun. Well, look, there's plenty of hybrid cars. There's plenty of economical cars, plenty of fuel-efficient cars. Why can't we just have a couple that are a bit... <laughs> crazy. Why can't we just have a few? And it you know? sounds so delicate, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> oh, the other thing. Oh, it sounds, it sounds brutal. <laughs> and it gives us confidence as car fans because 
clearly anything is possible. That's exactly right. Yeah. The end is not nigh. We're not going to be driving around autonomous shoeboxes or not driving autonomous shoeboxes. Correct. It's true. Anytime soon. It's true. There's... Yeah. Thank now, you. speaking of driving G- around, G- Mal, jumping to you. Yes. Uh, this is a long-term proposition, and you've just made a transition from one vehicle to another. It's a tale of two long-term propositions, yep. really. So yep. I've uh, handed back my long-term Hyundai Santa Fe Elite, which uh, I've spoken about before on this show, yep. uh, and swapped into the recently updated Mazda CX-9 Azami LE, which is the top, 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 top of the range, yep. with the real wooden Napa leather yep. in a Mazda. Yep. Uh, so it's pretty swish. Yeah. But, um, so anyway, said goodbye to the Hyundai. You can now read the final instalment uh, of that story and see the video on site and YouTube. Yep, with Mal, Mal Jr. and Malette Jr. involved I've, in the filming I've, as well. I've uh, wrangled some uh, free crew, which you might want to check out. <laughs> Talent. Did you get the form signed? You, know, yeah, you don't want to yeah, have any forms. surprises down the track. <laughs> Look out for that. Anyway, yep. and uh, so in the same week, we've uh, we've moved on to the CX-9 Azami uh, LE. Um, Santa Fe was intentionally chosen because it's the smallest of the large SUVs. Um, my biggest bugbear with it is that the uh, airbags don't cover the third row properly. They cover the glass area, but not where the third row passenger's head would contact the car. Just to be clear, that's in the Santa Fe, yeah? In the Santa yes. Fe, yes. Yep. CX-9, different story. Uh-huh. Proper airbag coverage in the third row. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other great thing about the, the... Sorry, a really good thing about the Santa Fe is that it delivered the same real-world average fuel consumption with its 2.2-litre diesel as the petrol uh, midsize SUVs I've been living with in the past, which yep. is 8.5 litres per 100 k's. So you can go big and still achieve decent litres per 100. Yep. Um, and it's a good thing. Cool. It's a, it suited me fine. We didn't need the third row, so it didn't matter yep. with the airbags. But yep. the CX-9 is bigger again. It's 305 millimetres longer. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's, 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 that's a school ruler. So I think, <laughs> I think actually, I think the, the Pathfinder might be a smidge longer. Yep. But going between Santa Fe and CX-9, we're definitely going from the small end to the big end of the large mm, SUV right. class. Yep. And uh, the biggest thing I want or biggest two things I want to see with the CX-9 is whether the extra size gives you some extra room between the two baby seats in the second row uh, whether that spot is actually comfortable for more than five minutes but it can be critical at various times can't it you know if you're really Definitely. trying to transport people well, um, little ones in restraints or seats and for or whatever, me it's yeah. Grandma, like yeah. which grandma wants to shoehorn themselves between two seats and sit like this and sure. need help to put a seatbelt in? Yep. Um, a lot of people do put their grandmother in the front seat. Whereas, whereas um, <laughs> in the back, then <laughs> no, Clark Griswold puts his on the roof. Yeah, that's well, right. She can't. She can't win. Uh, <laughs> Not every yeah. cut course shotgun every time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, you know you got to be fast. All right. Well, look, moving and, moving along. Talking of it, yeah. And go, one go, sorry, sorry, one final thing. Yep. I'm a big fan of the CX-9's uh, 2.5 litre turbo petrol engine. Fantastic engine. Really cleverly designed for purpose. Dying to see what real world fuel consumption it does compared to the Santa Fe. Well, mm-hmm. talking about Mazda and SUVs and that engine, um, yeah. I've been driving the best selling SUV in the country, which is CX5, with the 2.5 litre turbo ah, petrol engine. Yeah. Which has only just been added to Only just been added to this car. And I've got to say, in diving into it a bit, the tech in that engine is so great. Um, it's really an engineering marvel in my in my books. Mm-hmm. The way in which the uh, exhaust manifold has been designed to act in different ways at different rev ranges, yeah. it's all extremely good. But net effect is 
you drive that car and the bottom half of the rib range is just filled with sweet, sweet torque. You know, mm-hmm. you, you can just ease off the line and it cruises so beautifully. It's really a great car. Worth the wait then because yeah. everyone has been crying out for that engine to be added yeah. to the CX-5 range. So it, it's, makes it's a worthy it. addition. It makes it. So makes this, it. This, wow. this was an Akira, so you're nudging 50K for mm-hmm. this car. It's not representative of a, of a mass selling Does it have CX-5. real wood and Napa leather? It has the real wood and it has the Napa leather. It's got all the fruit. Mm. So it's interesting too because... You can buy equivalently primo versions of the usual suspects um, from Holden and Ford and all the, the mass brands, but you're nudging up into Mini Countryman Cooper S type territory, you know, yeah. and um, Tiguan 162 TSI yep. and mm. some, some fairly premium cars. So Mazda CX-5, does it have the kind of gra- gravitas to, to get into that area? Mm-hmm. Mazda's playing the game across the board. They are. Them. So it's a fairly slim little niche that they're trying to bite into yeah. there. But it's a lovely car. I really enjoy driving. You can get the two with leather these days. Yeah, sure. Wow. But, uh, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But the, the, primary, <laughs> but the primary reason for driving it was that engine, and it, it uh, just matches beautifully. The whole drivetrain is yeah. it's lovely. It was a real pleasure to drive. Mm. And, you know, designed to work best at light throttle applications yep. around town and that's city. where it's, it's at it's not days. about full throttle it's not about zero to 100 like it's it's, it's about the, the way we drive cars every day talking zero to 100 it's in the mid sevens i think for right. zero to 100 which is pretty quick because snap, putting actually, it yeah. in the cx5 it's a much lighter car than the but cx9 so if you bound to gain something. from step off if you're just at like two-thirds throttle it just glides up so beautifully it'll Perfect. just go up to 80k cruise effortlessly a bit like a, an old holden straight six 179 red motor Perhaps. Yeah. 138 grey? Maybe, hopefully a bit more than the 138. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But, you know, that's the characteristics that Australian cars are yeah. famous for. Yeah. Just easy urge. Yes. You know, now, back um, in the day. Moving on, Mel, you're well known as a lunatic. Another world-famous lunatic is about to be highlighted in Musquatch. Right, so, um, interesting news. Former Greens and now independent member for the New South Wales Uphouse, Jeremy Buckingham, has been on the Twitters to Elon about a 50-kilometre tunnel uh, through the Blue Mountains, uh, part of that localised bump otherwise known as the Great Dividing Range. Now, we're talking Lithgow to Penrith, roughly, and the D-leader responded immediately with a back-of-napkin quote for... $800 $800 million US, which is about $1.1 billion Australian dollars. Does he know what sandstone he's drilling through? Look, no, he, he does not. He, by definition, he does not. So $15 million per kilometre right. and $50 million for the infrastructure to provide a recharge station somewhere in there. So Jez is going to run it past New South Wales Premier uh, Gladys Berejiklian. We'll see, and he said he'd get back to... Um, to uh, Elon, so a former Green wanting more cars, albeit electric, on the road and a tunnel through a World Heritage listed area, contacting a billionaire boy genius via Twitter. Is there a New South Wales state government election coming up shortly? I, I, I think there might be. <laughs> there I, might be. I, I think it's in a couple of months. And you know what? It kind of makes sense. I wouldn't be surprised if Uncle Elon fancied himself as a bit of a modern-day Blackslam Wentworth and Lawson. Look, that was, was a big thing when they crossed the There the were various people overnight saying, sign him up, 
Get that deal done because that's a super good quilt. Well, you should see the, the Lithgow residents I ride the train with that have been asleep for several hours by the time they get to my end of the mountains. Yeah. yeah. They'd be up for it. But we were talking about it, Chester. Like the, the style of tunnel that the dear leader is talking about is where you come into a station, you're sent subterranean on a little platform, and your car has the guide wheels or whatever. It's a single car kind of deal. Oh, this My is that Model X thing Correct. Again. No. That's the quote for that. Well, so what, and I'm sure what Jeremy um, Buckingham's talking about is a tunnel with multiple yeah. lanes and all that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I think we're apples and oranges here. I wonder if Uncle Elon's Model X tunnel has any ventilation, given it's designed for electric cars. Mm. Well, look, no, no Good problems. Good chance, possibly not. That um, might add to the cost. Engineer and hydrogeologist Philip Pills, mm-hmm. one of the senior personnel behind the Sydney Harbour and Eastern Distributor Tunnels, uh, said Mr. Musk's, Mr. Musk's prediction was totally out of the ballpark. And that's a quote. He's out by at least a factor of 10 and up to a factor of 50. Dr. Pells, a tunnelling industry expert for 40 years, mm-hmm. said. Right. Um, look, also, New South Wales Transport Minister Andrew Constance called Mr. Musk one of the great minds on the planet. But said the proposal isn't a reality at this time. Does anyone ask um, Clever Moore what she thinks? <laughs> there, She'd be up for it. There was a great quote from Dr. Pells, I might point out, who uh, who said that, I'm not trying to knock the guy, and then immediately knocks the guy. So he's not trying to knock the guy, but he is out of his league. Yeah. He's dreaming. This yeah. is Alice in Wonderland stuff. And it is. The uh, knocking is absurd. coming organically. Yeah, he's not true. trying. But I'm not trying to. It's just <laughs> happening. To your point, Mel, is it sandstone? It's no idea. Geotechnical no. issues. Oh, crikey. World heritage issues. Oh, it's madness. But we do live in a world now where political issues are, are approached by text, uh, tweeting some random American billionaire <laughs> saying, make yeah, and just this for us. More or less and, copying in the yeah. premier. And the validity of them is gauged in retweets. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, absolutely incredible. So I, I was doing some reading this morning on this very issue. And so when they built the M5 tunnel, which Nine kilometres, or that, that original M5 one. East extension, on M5 Southwestern Motorway extension. Nine Ks it went for. It was built in December 2001. That cost 800 million Australian. That was yeah, nine For nine Ks. Ks. Yeah, right. And that's, you know, 17 years ago. Correct. 18 years ago. And not boring through the centre of, of, of 50 kilometres worth of And a big tunnel. Yeah, and a big tunnel. That's mm. right. So I think he might be just a little bit off with his uh, <laughs> prediction there, to be honest. Anyway. Or is the, the tunnel like tiny submarine size, like the one in Thailand or... Yeah, right. So how was that made? I don't know. Better get on the Twitters and find out, mate. <laughs> I'll tweet that's it. Where, I'll read, all go to the About Us page <laughs> on the Boring site. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, on the on the more day-to-day uh, for Tesla, our uh, guide being the Bloomberg Model 3 production tracker, week just gone, 4638 units. That's up 40 on last week. That's so close. It seems to have plateaued at around that number since late October last year. And he was um, pushing for 5,000, wasn't he? That was the goal. That was the goal. And he was actually that saying was by August last year it'd be 6,000. 6,000. So okay. we're, we're nowhere near that. On the up, but still under 5,000. Sure. Like the trajectory just recently has started to go up again. Okay. Um, look, they need to pack away the Christmas decos and get the Fremont wedding marquee jumping. You know, they need to get on to build a few more cars. <laughs> I, th- I still think it's incredible the way they've managed to sustain that over the holiday period. Yeah. Because you know, well, it's gone through Thanksgiving as well. That's yeah, so true. That's right. There wasn't uh, a massive dip uh, during the mm. Christmas New Year like period. the rest of society. That's because yeah. Elon demands everybody works 80 hours a week. He says it's the only way to change the world. Have you seen that? Yeah, no, he sleeps in the factory yeah, that's on a right. regular basis. Yeah, that's right. Dreams up tunnels. He yeah, must see so much of his triplets. <laughs> 
They must love him. <laughs> All right. I think with that, we have reached the finish line. Thank you, Chesto. Thank you. And thank, thank you, you, Mal. And thanks to our producer, Marsden. Look, thank you, everybody. If laughter was the best medicine, Marsden's reputation must be curing the world. And how many weeks to go, Marsden? How, how, how much longer are you with us? Two, two more. Two. Okay. Well, let's start counting down the hours, not just weeks. Um, <laughs> and heating th- up in here. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you for listening. Please get in touch and make this a two-way conversation. To have your say, good or bad, search for Cars Guide on Facebook and Instagram and use the tag at CG Podcast or email us at comments at carsguide.com.au. Anything you want, comments at carsguide.com.au. You can listen to and watch us on YouTube. And if you're an iTunes fan, please rate and review us. It helps other people find the podcast. Uh, Until next week, a mate of mine drove into a ditch last weekend. Might not sound like a big deal, but the thing is he stopped at the ditch, looked left and right, then drove into the ditch. Is this Philip? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it was the whole thing. Maybe that was the problem. (laughs) Your mate's with Philip? Jeez. (laughs) 